Joshua 1.8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, when, when you hear prosperous and successful, there's a red flag that pops up in so many people's theology about the prosperity message. That's not exactly what we're talking about, but that's what God is talking about. He's talking about you having more than enough. And, I, and really, to be honest with you, I, maybe you shouldn't even put a faith out there, a faith statement out there about prosperity until you can believe God for enough. Because our faith grows and our faith increases. But God wants you to be successful. Let's just put it that way. God wants you to have more than enough so that, so that you could give to others that are in need. You can't give what you do not have. And so God wants you to have more than enough. He wants you to have more than enough love, not just for you, but for your family and for the neighborhood and for the city that you live in. God wants you to have more than enough faith, not just for yourself, but he wants you to have faith for other people around you, for, for your family, for those that you work with, for your neighborhood, and for your city and your state. Come on. God doesn't want you just to have enough finances to pay your bills. He wants you to have more than enough so you can help family pay their bills, help the church pay their bills, and help others in the community by being known as a generous person. God wants you to have more than enough. When this message gets twisted, everybody say twisted. It's when we take the message and we, we plan on the provision being for ourselves or our own desires. Because when you seek your own desires, you'll get twisted. But when you seek the kingdom of God, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And seeking the kingdom of God is all about seeking others. So the word of God says, now let's, let's be careful. Let's do all of these things. When I was in my second Bible school, I was asked to, I was approached by the school administration and I was asked to help coach the basketball team. Their basketball team had done really well the last couple years, but, but they asked me to come on and, and help coach in strength and conditioning and diet and nutrition. And so I did that for two years that I was there. And, and I got to travel with the team, which was, it was fun and it was exciting and there was a lot of energy. Um, we won, we, we got second in, second in the nation in the championship. We came in second the first year, the second year we won the championship. Those, those little changes that we made those two years elevated a so-so team to a team of excellence, a team that was very notable. We didn't have the best basketball players because the best basketball players went to universities where they got scholarships. When they came to our college, they had to pay. And they not only had to pay, you know, it, we had, everybody was a walk-on, if you know what I mean. Everybody was a walk-on. I mean, we had some guys, we had guys in their 50s trying out. That, that's, that tells you what we had. So they asked me to do the strength and conditioning, and all I did was take the team back to the basics. Diet, nutrition, sleep, resistance training, cardiovascular training, and stretching, just the basics. 
And I noticed that those two years, we had a new coach. He came in from Iowa, and he from Iowa. He was a recruiter at Iowa University, and, and, and he would blast over and over every single day the foundation and the basics of basketball. In other words, we went from being a, a pretty good team to being the best in the nation in our conference just because we focused on the basics. What, what were the basics? Well, guess what they were? Every day, I drilled the guys on ball handling. Catch, pass, constantly, over and over again. Dribbling. Up and down the court, dribbling. And on defense, hands up. If, if your hands weren't up on defense, you didn't play. Your hands had to be up all the time because one was supposed to be in the other guy's face and the other between, between your guy and the ball. Always hands up, not just when a ball is shot. And, and then probably the one that we focused on the most was rebounding, boxing out, getting your, getting your butt, pushing that guy with your butt and getting set to go up after the ball. The basics, receiving the ball, passing the ball, ball handling, boxing out, and hands up on defense. And we made those changes every single day we went over the basics. And we didn't have any fancy, we didn't have any fancy plays. We played man on man and we played zone and that was just about it. Nothing, nothing fancy. But because we focused on the foundations, we won a national championship. As Christians, we need to come back to the basics. Why did we lose that game? Because you didn't box out and your hands weren't up on defense. Why did we lose that game? Because you became a ball hog and you forgot we're supposed to, pa we're supposed to pass the ball. This, this isn't about you. You're, you're not a hot dog. You want to be a hot dog, you can go get in somebody else's stand. We're playing as a team. The basics, the way that you receive the ball, bring it to center, the way that you execute and, and deliver the ball, the way you pass the ball, the way that you handle the ball, the way, they, the way that your posture when you're in defense, shield of faith, hands up, boxing out so the other guy doesn't have an opportunity to bring the goal, but if they don't, if they don't hit the goal, they bring that thing back down off the, off the backboard. What are the basics in Christianity? I'm challenging you today and I'm challenging you online today because if you're struggling in an area of your life, I guarantee you're not doing one of the basics or, or, or several of the basics. It usually starts with we, we let one go and then the others start to slide and pretty soon we're, we don't understand why we're not winning. We don't understand why we're not overcoming. We don't understand why we're not victorious. We don't understand why we're depressed. We don't understand why we're anxious. It's because we're not doing the, the basics. Everybody say basics. Number one, we practice the habit of keeping God's word first in our lives. Do you have that, that QR code? It's okay. Do you? Can you put it up? Because if you want to scan this QR code, this will give you the complete outline so you don't have to take as detailed notes as what you think. If you want to scan that, we're just going to give you a moment. And we're going, to, we're going to try and do this every week for you so that you can take and develop this message yourself. The, the, the first discipline is that we practice 
the habit of keeping God's word first in our lives. So what does that mean? Well, you know, if it's going to be first, get, what's the first thing that you do in the day? What I struggle with, I'm going to tell you what I struggle with. The first thing I want to do is to go on to the news. Because it's been my habit for years. The second thing I do is go into the word. And I can tell a difference when I go into the word first every single time. Now, I'm not saying that's a religious law or anything like that, but the Bible does say to seek the Lord early. Besides, when do you need the meat of God's word? When do you need the guidance of God's word? It's, it's usually not in your sleep time. It's during your daytime. And if you, if you wait to eat before you go to bed, then you won't have the strength or the substance from the nutrition that you took in at night during your day. That's why they call it breakfast. You break your fast from eating at night into the morning because your body is just going to assimilate everything that you took in at 6 or 7 p.m. And the same is true with the Word of God. If it's to renew your mind, if it's to be your, your spiritual strength, then, then we need to put the Word of God first. Here, I'm going to give you three points. Our decisions are biblically based. If the word of God is going to be first in our life, the decisions that we make are filtered through the word of God. Now, unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians, and there, hopefully there are not any in here, but there are a lot of Christians that their theology is based on the songs they sing on Sunday, and that's it. That's the only word that they get. Well, no wonder they don't know which way is up in the kingdom of God. Because they're not, your experience and your success in the kingdom of God is going to be based on your knowledge of God's word. How can Jesus bring scripture to your remembrance or remind you about what he said if you never hear it? And I don't want to be very, very plain about this. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, which is the process, not having heard, which is an action that you took. Faith comes by hearing, not by having heard. So our decisions are biblically based. Number two, our nature, the way we act, the way we think, the way we conduct ourselves, flows from our knowledge of God's word. Our actions, what we do, conforms to the scripture. If God's word is going to be first in your life, then your decisions are going to be biblically based. Your nature will flow. Your, who you are, your character is going to flow out of your knowledge of God's word and your actions will conform to the scripture. Now, if you don't have any word in you, what are your decisions going to be based on? If you don't have any word in you, what is your nature going to be? flowing out of. If you don't have any word in you, what are your actions going to be conformed to? So, so, the, so the number one thing, basics, going back to the basics. Did you notice when I started, we talked about, when, about the basketball, we talked about nutrition. We talked about sleep. We talked about exercise and we talked about stretching. And here we're talking about your spiritual nutrition. 
You've got to put the word of God in you. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, you do your best to present yourselves to God as a one who is approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who, who correctly handles the word of truth. Give a kid a really sharp knife, what is he going to do? Within 20 minutes, he's going to cut himself if he's not familiar with it. If he's not familiar, if he doesn't know how to handle it, if he hasn't been taught, if he hasn't been trained, if he hasn't been schooled, if he hasn't learned from somebody who knows how to handle a sharp knife, you give a kid a sharp knife, he's going to cut himself. You have to teach somebody how to properly handle the word of truth. And you're to do your best. Everybody say, do my best. You're to do your best to show yourselves to God and to men that he approves of the way that you handle the word. What is a Christian without the scripture? What is our faith without the word of God? What do we believe if it's not based on what has been written on pen and ink and parchment and, and paper and print? It becomes something that transitions and changes with the circumstances and situations and how we feel and what the majority of the world accepts is right. Number two, we practice the habit of continual prayer. Remember, we, we, we talked about diet and nutrition and we talked about uh, of ball handling. We practice the habit of continual prayer. Now, I want to say something to you. You know where we're going. Just because you've heard it doesn't mean you're doing it. You may even know the nine habits. But there's a reason God said, go over the nine habits. Because just because you have heard doesn't mean you're doing. And, you, and then you're still, I don't know why you're saying to yourself, why is this not working, God? Why are you not answering me? Why am I frustrated? Why am I being tempted this way? Why has this thing come back? Well, did you forget the basics? The basics aren't supposed to be in your head. There's supposed to be something that you do on a daily basis. We practice the habit of, if you're going to practice the habit of continual prayer, number one, we pursue the presence of God. That's what you're going after. When? Please, not just on Sunday. Please let it be every day. And if you got one of those occupations that you get so caught up in what you're doing that you forget God, then schedule some time. Maybe it's when you eat lunch. Maybe it's when you have your coffee break in the middle. Maybe it's when the next coffee break comes. Maybe it's when you eat dinner. And maybe it's when you go to bed. Schedule times throughout the day to seek the presence of God. That's good right there. Number two, we adopt an attitude of prayer. What does that mean? We adopt an attitude of prayer. If we're going to adopt the attitude of prayer, then that means that our decisions, our thinking includes God's Holy Spirit and His input. In other words, our communication with God is always on. We don't, when we say amen, we're not saying goodbye. 
When we're saying amen, what we're saying is let it be so in my life and you just keep talking to me. And I'll keep listening. Number two, we adopt an attitude of prayer. Number three, we yearn for communication with God through his spirit. And number four, we seek his will in all things. Pray first. What we tend to do is we tend to make phone calls and we ask questions of other people before we pray. Well, what do you think? Or we just tell everybody how bad it is and, and we want them to agree with us and want them to tell you you're doing the right thing or you should do. Yeah, what you're thinking you're doing, you should do. You should do that. That's why pray first. So it, the acronym here is that a lifestyle of prayer pays great dividends. By the way, number one is the Bible is our spiritual DNA. We pursue, we adopt, we yearn, we seek. The lifestyle of prayer pays great dividends. Why, 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 why is that even in there, Pastor? Because if you pray and you're not expecting things to get better, why would you pray? Now, please, I don't know why I have to say this. When you pray, you're not just talking to God, you're listening. I would say 60 to 70% of prayer is listening. So when you pray, you're asking for wisdom. You're asking for an idea. You're asking, you're asking for the right thing to do. You're, ask, you're asking to see things as he sees it. And when you do that, this lifestyle of prayer pays great dividends. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. Number one, we practice the habit of keeping God's Word first in our lives. Two, we practice the habit of continual prayer. Three, we practice the habit of self-examination by considering our ways. This also has to do with an attitude of prayer. Because if you look at your past, if you look at your paths of yesterday and you're doing it only through your human mind or through your human perception, you are going to condemn yourself. You are going to feel worse because the devil will make sure if you're not doing it that he'll do it for you. So you have an attitude of prayer when you're looking at your own life. And we, how do we do this? How do we do this? When we're looking at our, our past, Most people are going through life driving while looking in the rearview mirror. And they don't understand why they keep getting into accident after accident after accident. They're looking at their past instead of their future. You'll never be able to grasp your future if you're fixated on your past. You'll never be able to see the future that God has for you if you keep criticizing and being critical and rehearsing the failures of your past. Well, here's what we do. Number one, we maximize the good decisions and actions that we have made and we have taken. What does that mean? I'm going to do that again. Man, that was right. That was right with God, and that worked out. I'm going to mark that. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to do that again. That was a good thing. You know, we tend to only go to the negative. We need to maximize the effect of the good things that we did, the good decisions that we took, and what we need to do is we need to say, okay, I'm going to remember that, and I'm going to do that again. 
When that situation comes up, where else can I apply that? Where else can I apply that kind of thinking, that kind of decision making? Where else can I, can I cause that, that what, the way I was thinking and the way I came to that decision, where could I apply that in the future for the greatest amount of good? And number two, we have to accept the failures instead of brushing them underneath. You know you want to do that. You just want to, okay, well, you know, I just, just yeah, yeah, don't look back there. Wait, you can come in the house, but don't look, don't look in the drawers that are in the closet. You can get in my car, but don't look in the back seat. We have to accept the failures. Yeah, we repent, but we accept them as learning opportunities. I didn't do real good there. I made a mistake. Matter of fact, I, I repented of that. God's cleaning up the mess. But you know what? When I get in that situation again, I'm, I'm not going to make that same decision. Lord, show me what I should have done. There it is. I'm going to do that in the future. So you maximize on the good. You accept the failures. And we, listen to this, we purpose our past to modify our future. We purpose our past to modify our future because if you don't, your past is going to be your future because where you have been is where you will go because you'll make the same decisions that got you to the place that you are. And without change, you're going to continue to end up in the same destination over and over and over again. So it's real simple, guys. We maximize the good. We accept the failures as learning opportunities. And we purpose the past to modify our future. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, You guys, come on, examine yourselves to see whether you're in faith. Test yourself. I had a situation this week that might, might help bring understanding. This person uh, misunderstood something that I said about faith. And I was, what I was telling the person is, don't be so concerned. Don't be so anxious. J just have some faith. W what do I mean? Have some faith. What, what I mean by have some faith is, is this. You should be in a resting situation here. The more anxious you get... It, it, what, the more anxious you are, all of a sudden that's going to take the scales and it's going to tip it and God's going to move? The more worried you are, you know, the, the, oh, you're paying, you're suffering, and so God's going to see that and he's going to, he's going to suddenly move? No, have some resting faith. It's not what you're, what you're producing with your faith, it's your attitude. And, and when, we, when we approach our past this way, it does this. By considering our ways, we redraw the map of our future. Do you know that your, your future is predetermined? It's predetermined by God has a design for you, but it's predetermined by your decisions. It's predetermined by your actions. Because if you keep acting contrary to God's will, you're not going to get God's will in your life. And let me say that again. If you keep acting contrary to God's will, you are not going to get God's will in your life. It's that simple. So I, I, this was not God's will. That's, that's, that's flipping obvious. I talk to God that way, by the way. 
Nija doesn't like it, but I'll, I'll say, God, this is a freaking terrible situation. This is, this is flipping me off, God. You know, he knows me. Now, don't teach your kids to do that, but they're saying worse. Praise, not praise, praise the Lord. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. By considering our ways, we redraw the map of our future. Number four, we practice the habit of being missional. Why are we here? What did Jesus ask us all to do? So if he asked us to make disciples, then, then what are you, when was the last time you, you shared your faith? When was the last time you led somebody to Jesus? When was the last time? Come on, we have to, we have to put it in our life. It's one of our major disciplines. If, if that's what he called the church to do, then we need to be, we need to be about it. Uh, we turn our focus outward. We override our fear to share what God has put on our hearts because he will. We discover God's purpose for our life. We accept our spiritual giftings. We yield to the opportunities that God puts before us. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 says, go and make disciples of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is your mission. In Western society and even in other places in the world, th this idea has got, well, well, we will hire a pastor and a ministerial staff, and that is their mission. Sweet pea, that's not true. It's your mission. The Word of God says that we're here to prepare you to do the works of the ministry. And the works of the ministry are to serve others and to love others, to lead them, to love them, to lead them to Jesus and to teach them how to follow him. It's that simple. Matthew chapter 28, make disciples of all nations. You see, when you look at the acronym, we turn, we override, we discover, we accept, and we yield. It's this, today is the day to be Missional. Number five, we practice the habit of generosity. How do we do that? How do we practice this habit of generosity? We govern our hearts. We tell our hearts what to do and how to act by being open-handed. The tighter you squeeze something, the more life you're going to take from it. We're open-handed. Whatever, whatever I have, I'm open-handed with. If you're not open-handed, it's because you believe that God is not going to put something back in that hand once you give it away, which is not a resting faith. Number two, we initiate God's provision. We initiate, I want you to get this, God's provision through generosity. Therefore, we value, number, number four, we value the needs. Listen, listen, please hear me. We value the need of others more than the cost of the seed. Number five, when we're, when we're giving, we engage cheerfulness when we give. The Word of God says this, the Word of God says, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver. I don't know about you, but I could use more God's love. I really could. And if God makes it plain in his scripture that he loves somebody who is cheerfully giving, I probably need to learn to be more open-handed. Number six, we practice the habit of attending and participating in our church community.
I love each person that's here, okay? And I'm here to help you find your next steps in engaging in this. Thank you for serving greeting. But did you know more than half of our greeters are here also throughout the week cleaning different areas of the church? Did you know that those who are on staff and are here a couple hours each day, that they're here throughout the week cleaning, preparing, getting ready for you for Sunday? Did you, did you know that those who are scheduling the greeters and those who are, are scheduling the prayer team and, and, and Cole and Melissa who work with the worship team and the children's team, all of those things, they also are on a prayer team inter, and a care team interceding for you? We all have a, a gift that we should be giving. Number one, we honor the church, this church. We honor our church as God's house. That's what the Word of God says. Number two, please hear me. I'm going to say it once. We omit things from our schedule that compete for our Sundays. If there's anything that COVID did that, that hurt, hurt the kingdom of God, is it diminished the importance of gathering together on Sundays in many of our hearts. Number three, we meet publicly every week. Yes, guys, you can join us online. Nothing beats coming together. Because that's the way God intended it. As a matter of fact, the Word of God says that when it comes to the ecclesia, the church, that has the meaning that is in a public place, that you are coming out into a public place, which makes you, gives you a confession and a testimony that you're a Christian. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. You can have a closet believer, but they're defeated in most situations. Number three, we embrace, no, we meet publicly every week. We embrace our church family. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, God's household is the church of the living God. And the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Remember, we hear from God three ways. We hear from God how? We hear from God through the word, the scripture. We hear from God through his Holy Spirit. And we hear from God through the church. Those are his three major avenues of communicating to you and to me. Hebrews 10, 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now listen, we have people joining us from all over the world, 195 countries, several million view our, view our message throughout the week. We are looking for ways to engage with them uh, in a more systematic discipleship kind of a way, and, and we're doing that. But our intention is so that they can get together with other Christians in their place and have a church, have a community. And the church is always, always, always was meant to be a church of pockets of people, of groups of people that meet together. Maybe not to study the word of God, maybe to, maybe to play guards and pray. Maybe to shoot pistols together and pray. I, may, maybe to play golf and pray. Maybe it's to go out and try new pastry, pastry places together, ladies, and, and do it on a regular basis. And, and here's the word of God for the week, and let's pray. 
It's all about community. See, when you take this acronym, honor, omit, meet, and embrace, it comes to this, our church is our home. Number seven, we practice the habit of serving. I like everything you said, Pastor, but this. So this is where the rubber meets the road. Because serving is all about others. And whether or not we serve, it's a wonderful indicator of whether we're selfish or not. I didn't say busy. Everybody's busy. Everybody has the same 24 hours a day. We prioritize what is important to us. And if others are important, then we are going to prioritize serving. Number one, we adjust our schedule to the opportunities to help others. If we're going to practice the habit of serving, we declare our intentions to it. Not only do we see it, and we begin to make a change. I do have this coming up, but you know what? I can push that back 30 minutes. I'm going to help you. We declare our intentions to assist. And number three, we do what we can do now. Don't hesitate. Don't schedule it for next week. Matter of fact, the word, the word of God says if you, if you have the means to help somebody, don't send them away and tell them to come back tomorrow. Give it to them now. That person doesn't need a jump next week to get his car going. He needs a jump right now because he's late for work. And you may be on your way for work. Make a call. Help the guy. Have an attitude to serve. First, First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, each of you should use. Come on. Each of you, including me, should use whatever gift you have received to become rich and prosperous, wealthy and whole, to build your house, to bless your family. No. It says each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We adjust, we declare, we, we do, we add value to others. Number eight, we practice the habit of gratitude. Another indicator of where you are spiritually. If you're a complainer, if you're a reporter, in other words, you just tell everybody what's going on without filtering it through faith. You have a worldview based on the media not a worldview that's based on Christ. Come on. If, if, if we practice the habit of gratitude, we think about the good things in our life. That's a discipline. We think about the good things that's in our life. We honor God with the first part of our increase. That's talking about the tithe. We act in a way that is honoring to God. In other words, when something bad happens, we don't put up our hands and, and call everybody and tell them how bad it is. We say, you know what, God, I see you working in this. Or we're honest, we say, I don't see your hand in this yet. But I know you're going to move. 
Because the word of God tells me that you work out all things for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I know you're going to move. Give me the patience not to get, not to pick this thing up, not to get involved in the strife of the thing, not, not, not to become negative. Lord, help me in that because I see you moving. We act in a way that's honoring toward God. We notice the little things. He said, listen, your life is full of a lot of little good things. I am so thankful that, 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 that I've got a freezer full of deer. I didn't know eggs were going to go to 26 bucks a dozen. I, I didn't know that meat was going to go to 10 to 12 pound, 20, 10 to 12 dollars a pound. Because our, 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 we love deer meat. We love venison, guys. And, and you know, be, because, we, because God graced us with, you know, it was a lot of work, but we got some deer in the freezer. I don't ever worry about the cost of meat. I'm so thankful I don't worry about the price of gas. I'm so thankful I don't have to worry about where I'm going to live. I didn't say there aren't times that I have to worry about how everything's going to get paid for, but I don't have to worry about those things, what I eat and what I drink and what I wear and where I live. When I seek first the kingdom of God, all those things are added to me. So come on, I'm seeking God. I don't want to worry about those kind of things. I'm so thankful for those little things. We know God is our ultimate provider. Yeah, you work hard. Okay, you work hard. Come on, you sweat. You plan. But God gives you the ability to do so. I've seen so many people in the last couple of years that one minute they're fine, the next minute they're like a vegetable. Maybe they come back and maybe they don't. You got to understand it's God who gives you the strength, God who gives you the clear mind, God who gives you the ideas, and you honor him in that. We, we, we are practicing the habit of gratitude. We see God's hand of provision in everything. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ, that you're thankful. Hey, if you, if you look at the, the, the letters, T-H-A-N-K-S, thanks. Our favorite word is thanks. Thank you. Come on, say it with me. Thank you. Thank you. Say thanks. Say thank you. Say I'm thankful. Well, what did that do to the inside of you? I'm thankful. Thank you, God. Thanks, Lord. When we get that in our heart, we're practicing that attitude. Number nine, are you ready? We produce the habit. We, we, we practice the habit of producing joy. How do we do that? Okay, I'm talking about producing it, not being happy. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eat and drink, but what? Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat and what you drink and those kind of things. It's a matter of having peace and having joy in the Holy Spirit. So I need to work that joy. I need, I need to cause that joy. I need to foster that joy. I need to cultivate that joy. I need to do something to get joy in my life. Because you, you know anxiousness and joy can't be in the same place. 
you know fear and joy can't be in the same place? Did you know hopelessness and joy can't be in the same place? So, so what does it tell you? I want to be joyful. Do you know how I can become joyful? I know this is going to sound silly, but it's true. I rejoice. If I'm going to rejoice something, that means whatever I had to be joyful about yesterday, I'm going to be joyful about it again today. And when I rejoice, joy comes. Whatever I was thankful for yesterday, whatever I was thankful for the day before, whatever, whatever brought me joy in the past, I am going to thank you. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice about that. And then I am going to experience joy. We connect with the concerns of others. We just don't blow them off. Because you try to produce joy in them too. If we are going to practice this habit, we hear what is, we hear what is not being said. It's like reading between the lines. I hear the problems, I hear the circumstances, I hear the situations, but what I'm hearing really is you're in fear, which means you don't really think God will have your back on this. Let me, let me deal with that with you. Let me help you. Why don't you borrow my faith? I'm going to tell you what God did in my life in that situation, and I'm going to rejoice with you about it, and then I'm going to pray with you that God will do the same in yours. So you are creating we're creating and producing joy. We offer hope continually. When somebody comes, comes, comes to you and they start telling you about all the bad things that are happening, off, listen, connect with them about the thing. Read between the lines. Offer hope. The truth is, if we're going to produce joy, we will overcome anger with grace, anxiety with peace, and sadness with joy. We separate a person's conduct from their value. Just because they're living right doesn't mean they're not valued by God. And if we're going to produce joy, we encourage every person that we encounter. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. I'm, I'm going to rejoice this situation. I'm going to take joy in this again. I'm going I'm to take joy in my salvation. I'm going to take joy in God's, God, God's spirit within me. I'm going to take joy that I can know his will because I have his word. I'm going to take joy in the fact that I'm not in this alone. I have a church family. I'm going to take joy that, that I actually have people to talk to because I'm part of a group. I'm going to take joy in the, that, that I'm actually adding value to the kingdom of God because I'm serving others. I'm going to take joy and, oh man, when I just remember where I was and where I am today. Connect, hear, offer, overcome, separate, and encourage. Choose. We choose joy. Let's bow our heads. Pastor Lucas is going to come up in a minute, and he's going to lead those that want to receive Jesus or recommit their life back to him. But let's pray about this message right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that, it, that your word delivered from the pulpit and your word in the scripture is active and it's alive. I pray that each and every person that participated in this service with us 
in this message with us that joined us, that you bring revelation knowledge to them so they can begin to apply these nine habits, the foundations, the simple things, the daily things that will make them a winner, that will make them successful and even prosperous. In Jesus' precious name, amen.